will be in the book of Romans, as you may have guessed. Romans chapter 7. We're going to read the first six verses, and as you're flipping there to Romans chapter 7, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere near you in the pew in front of you, so you can follow along. As you're flipping there, um, those of you who have been at church here since I've been here, you've probably picked up on my concern for church folks. Um, I have a concern for church folks, folks who have grown up in church, that in the process of growing up from a young child up to adulthood, only knowing Sunday school and church and always knowing about Jesus and about the Bible, that many tend to grow up with fuzzy thinking about it and more of a warm feeling toward church than a clear conclusion about Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm very concerned that Many people in the Bible Belt will, in the end, be face-to-face with Jesus and realize that they never really knew Jesus. They never really had a clear commitment to Jesus, though they were very committed to church and really loved church. Um, That just has become a deeper concern as I've been a minister. I was reminded of it this week at family camp. The folks who came up there, I did a, a poll one evening during the service, and all but one person had grown up in church there. And uh, don't get me wrong, it's not a negative thing to grow up in church. It's a great thing. Uh, But there are some unique dangers to it. I think that our passage today will help us. I think it will give us some clearer thinking about what it means to be a Christian, uh, maybe even as opposed to being a church person. So we're going to pray together for God's blessing, and we'll read it together, and uh, we'll dive in. It's going to be a simple sermon, I think. Uh, Just three points. And I'm going to do my best, Larry. Uh, Larry caught me on the way in and said, uh, try, to do, try to do a really good job for a change this morning. <laughs> I know he's joking, but he didn't know I was going to tell you he said that. So. so we're going to pray, and I'm going to try to do my best job this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and uh, I'm excited to get into it with your people this morning. I pray for your help. Help us to hear your voice, to understand Help me to speak of it clearly. Uh, some of these ideas about the law and, and us and Jesus can be confusing. But I know your Holy Spirit can make it plain to us, so I pray that you would do so. I want to confess publicly all of the sin and pride and selfish ambition that makes me want this sermon to go well. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just eradicate that and that this would just be a beautiful time of looking at you, listening to your voice, and that hearts would be changed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Uh, if you're able, if you would stand as an expression of honor as we read God's Word together, we read from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, that will not be on the PowerPoint today, so you can either listen to me and or follow along in your Bible. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, 
You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. This is another deep and rich passage, as all these passages in Romans have been. You could spend months digesting any one of these paragraphs that we've studied um, just in a 25, 30-minute sermon. Um, my, one of the guys that I check my interpretation by, John Piper, he preached four sermons on this passage. And, and I'm sure he, five actually, I saw another one that he's preached. So we're going to leave a lot behind this morning. So don't think that I'm going to cover all of it. But what we will see in here, I really think will help us to think about our own lives, our own relationship with Jesus. Maybe we'll make clear a lot of the practical aspects of our lives. So my first point is simply that Christians used to belong to the law, but they now belong to Jesus. Christians used to belong to the law. Now they belong to Jesus. Now, when we say law, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. When you see law in the Bible, often it refers specifically to the Mosaic law, the law that Moses carried down the mountains with his stone tablets and his bathrobe. Usually it refers to that law, but it also encompasses all the do's and don'ts of Scripture. In Sunday school, we listed out all the do's and don'ts, all the rules from the Bible that we knew on the board. And I want you to be thinking about those right now, the do's and don'ts of Scripture. Some of the ones we came up with, don't worship idols, don't make a graven image or something that you're going to bow down and worship like a golden calf. Hope none of you did that this morning. That idolatry rule, it's actually very broad. It, it stretches to worshiping anything above God. So don't worship idols. Don't murder was one of the ones we came up with. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. We didn't come up with don't steal. That seems like an obvious one. Love people. Don't punch people in the face. That was one that they threw out. I teach the high school, middle school youth. So, You know, the rules. That's what we mean by law. Now, remember... If you remember when we started Romans, we talked a lot about who Paul was writing to. He was writing to a diverse group of Christians in the Roman church. And the big two groups were the Jewish Christians who came from the background of having all the traditions and the heritage and the rules, the law. And the Gentile Christians who were new to the faith, they came from a pagan background. So they were just living blatantly sinful lifestyles before they knew Jesus and were changed. I think here he's turning his attention more to the Jewish Christians, which I think is good for us because I think we could probably relate mainly to the Jewish Christians because I know most of you did grow up in church. You've known the law. You've known the do's and don'ts. Go to church. Don't forsake the fellowshipping together. Uh, don't get drunk. You know, those things. We know that stuff. Uh, so I think Paul is really talking to us this morning. So... The first point, we used to belong to the law, all the do's and don'ts and the rules. But a very real change takes place when you become a Christian. 
And there's a sense in which we don't belong to that stuff anymore. We belong to Jesus instead. You see this bear itself out in the life of Jesus. If you read the four biographies of him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that he had a really strange relationship with the law. He claimed to, people saw him as a teacher, and yet he was kind of reckless about the law. Because the Jews, they were very, very careful about the law. You know, there's, there's a rule. Keep a Sabbath day holy. Set aside a Sabbath day that you rest, you don't work. This is one of the most broken commandments in our culture. A day that you just rest and you just bask in, in God and who he is. So they wouldn't do any work. They wouldn't, many of them wouldn't light a fire to cook their food. They wouldn't uh, carry a load from here to there. They wouldn't do anything on the Sabbath. Then here comes Jesus, and he heals a man on the Sabbath. And all the religious people are shocked. What are you doing? There's a rule about that. You don't heal someone on the Sabbath. The Jews were very careful about who they hung around with. They didn't hang around with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors who were basically swindlers and uh, distrusted. They didn't hang around those people. Because those people were associated with sin and they were trying to, to obey the rules. So they didn't want to hang around people who didn't obey the rules. And yet here comes Jesus. He's perfectly comfortable with those people. You wonder where Jesus is eating dinner. And it's very likely that evening he's eating dinner at some prostitute's house. With all her friends and all the people that would come there. There's this recklessness about the rules. I mean the Jews wouldn't even, I've told you before... The really religious ones wouldn't even look upon a female. So they would literally walk through the streets. If there was a woman walking, they wouldn't even look because they didn't want to fall into the sin of lusting after a woman. And yet Jesus hung out openly with women. Some of his best friends were women. So he was much more free in regard to the law than the religious people were. But at the same time, he was also more deeply passionate about it. And took it to a much further extent. Do you remember when he was teaching about uh, hatred? And he says, you've heard it said, you've heard the rule, don't kill anybody, don't murder. Well, I'm telling you, if you hate somebody, you've done just as bad as murdering them. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? Raise your hand if you've murdered someone. Okay, I don't know all you that well. I doubt you would raise your hand if you did, though. Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but have you ever hated someone, even for a minute? Just hated somebody for what they've done or what they did to you or what they did to somebody you love and you hate them. Hatred means that you want to be as far away from them as possible and you want them to be as far away from anything good as possible. Well, I bet we've all done that. And Jesus said that's just as bad as murder. So on the one hand, he's like reckless and and very free about the law, healing on the Sabbath. And on the other hand, he takes it way more extremely than anybody else. The Jews wouldn't even look at a woman at all. They'd walk down the street so they didn't have to. Yet Jesus hung out with them as friends. But when he taught about adultery, do you remember what he said? If you even look at a woman with lust for her, you've committed adultery in your heart. So there's a strange paradox in Jesus. A freedom from the law, yet a passion and an extremeness about the law at the same time. And that... That paradox is what we inherit when we become Christians. 
And Paul knows that this is confusing. How many of you are confused right now? Paul knows that this is confusing. Thank you, Marty, for your honesty. Paul knows that this is confusing, so he gives this analogy of marriage. Okay? So my wife's name is Meredith. We're married. Hence, she's my wife. So we are, in a sense, bound to each other. Really, by law. Sometimes I jokingly call her my wife-in-law. You know, you have your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your brother-in-law. Well, your spouse is your spouse-in-law, too. There is a law about marriage. So, so long as I'm alive, if she goes and tries to be with another man or marry another man, it's adultery. It breaks the law. But if I die, that law is no longer binding upon her. And she's released from that law. See, there's a death that occurs when one becomes a Christian. When someone sees, yes, Jesus is who he says he was. He is the way and the truth and the life. Yes, I will follow him. I will trust him. There's a death that occurs. That's what, part of what we symbolize in baptism. We dip under and the old you is dead underneath the water and a new you comes back. But in that death, there is a release from the old law that you used to be married to. I don't know if you're following me still because this is kind of mind-bending. What Paul says is that you're released from the law so that you can be with another. Likewise, my brothers, you have also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit from God. That's what he says in verse 4. There's a death that's required to be released from the requirements of the law so that you can be joined to Jesus. There's a transition that has to take place from law to Jesus. So that when you die, and you will, and the next thing you know, I believe, is going to be, you'll be face-to-face with God. And if he was to ask you that famous evangelism question, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you into my perfect heaven with me, perfectly holy and spotless? Well, if you don't have Jesus, what are you going to say? How are you going to respond? You're going to point to the law. And you're going to say, well, I never killed anybody. And I never committed adultery. I was pretty good to my kids. I didn't kick my dog too much. I didn't speed too badly. I, I got drunk some, but I wasn't a drunkard. You're going to point to the law and try to make your case. Now, if you're a Christian, what are you going to say in that situation? You're not going to point to the law at all. You're going to point to Jesus. And you're going to say, I'm, I'm just with Jesus. There is no reason that you should let me into perfect spotless heaven, except that I'm just clinging to Jesus. He lived the life that I should have lived. He died the, de- the death that I deserve. I'm with Jesus. I'm not with the law anymore. I'm with Jesus. Now, I want this to feel practical to you. So I'm going to use another marriage analogy. But it's the difference between the vows and the wife or the husband. And this gets kind of at what I think we get confused as church people. Think back to those of you who are married. Think back to the night before your wedding day. Can you remember it? Can you remember how you felt? Can you remember what was going through your mind? Hopefully it was... Excitement and joy, and it wasn't dread and, oh, my life is over. Hopefully that wasn't the case. Hopefully it was excitement. Tomorrow's going to be a big day. I'm going to get married. 
Were you able to sleep the night before? Incidentally, I slept like a baby. I don't know why. I usually, I'll get nervous about a lot of things, but I wasn't nervous. I slept really well. Meredith was up because of anticipation and excitement. So those of you who were excited before your wedding day, were you all worked up and all excited and unable to sleep because you're so excited about the vows? I'm going to get to commit myself for sickness and health and richer and poorer and good and bad. I'm so excited about these vows. I can't wait to say the vows and live according to the vows. It's going to be great. Or were you excited about the person? The husband or the wife that was going to be yours. There's a huge difference between the vows and the spouse. Just like there's a huge difference between the law and Jesus. And I'm just so afraid that some of you are clinging to the law and the do's and don'ts and the rules. And that's what you love. And you're ignoring Jesus. Because it's a big difference between following inanimate rules and laws written externally on tablets or in the Bible versus a person. Now, I want you to be clear on it. We, we follow Jesus. We don't follow a uh, moral system. Now, there is a moral system that comes, just like there are vows that come with being a wife or a husband. But mainly it's about the person. And I fear that some of us just have so much going on in our minds. And, and when we bring our mindset to church, we're so consumed with all this stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus. And we're running and we're busy and we're exhausted. Some of us need to transition from vow fulfillment to loving our spouse. Some of us need to transition from law fulfillment to loving Jesus. So what do you think more about in terms of your faith? Do you think more about the do's and don'ts, the ought to and shouldn'ts, or do you think more about Jesus? The Jesus way brings abundant life and rest. Remember, he says, all who are weary and heavy burden, come to church and follow a bunch of rules and you'll receive rest. Isn't that what he said? No, he said, all, all you who are weary and heavy burden, come to me. I'll give you rest. Point number two, Christians used to bear death fruit, but now they bear God fruit. That's what he says in verses four and five. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. I'm going to explain some of the more difficult concepts in those verses, but think back to the marriage analogy again. What effect do you think it would have if you in your marriages, those who are married, were all about vow fulfillment, but had no affectionate relationship with the person you're married to? So you're all about fulfilling your vows. You're committed to your obligation. 
to this person. And you expect them to be committed to their obligation to you. And each day is a checklist of how you and they are doing, according to the vows. Would that have a uh, life-giving effect on your marriage? Or would it have a deathly effect on your marriage? The Scripture teaches that has a deathly effect on things. Instead of love and affection, what's going to grow there is probably bitterness and frustration and exhaustion. This is sort of what happened to the really religious Jewish people. You would think that the more religious we were and the better we were at the do's and don'ts, the more abundant our life would be and the more pleased God would be with us. But do you remember some of the things Jesus said to the really religious people, the Pharisees? Man, he had some harsh words for those people. I'm going to read some of them to you in Matthew 23. Just don't even flip there. Just listen. He says in Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So they tithed even out of their spice rag. They were so careful about the law. Yet they missed the deeper issues. It says, These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. Yeah, I'm looking out here, everyone appears great this morning. Outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. I mean, you got to remember, God, he's not concerned with the outward stuff, the appearance. He knows the heart. He knows the inside, the depths of you. That's what he wants to get at. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's the difference between an outside-in approach to Christianity where you're trying from the outside-in to try to look better, be better. It's the difference between that and an inside-out transformation. So what's your fruit? Is it more death-like or is it more life-like, godly? Because what happens... If you're really trying to do the the religious thing, the church thing, what happens, it either leads to despair or pride. Either you're really bad at it, and you just, you fail a lot. You lose your temper all the time. You can't stop this particular sin, and you just despair. I just just can't do it. A lot of people just leave. Or you're pretty good at it. You're pretty self-disciplined, and you start to get pretty prideful about yourself, that you've got your act together pretty well. You're doing pretty good according to the law check sheet. But either way, that's death. That's not life. This performance-based religion, it, I mean, it knocks on all our doors. I'll tell you uh, about me. 
the first, yeah, I told you I was at camp this last week. Well, we got there on Sunday night. Uh, we had gone from church, basically we got ready after church, and we went to Will's baptism, which was awesome. Will got baptized Sunday, hand for Will. And then we went from there to the campground. We unpacked in the rain to our second floor bedroom, which was probably about 317 degrees. It was so hot, and we were all wet and sweaty and nasty. And the kids, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and they were very strung out. I mean, we had taken them through a lot that day. No nap, uh, strange surroundings, and they, they were just not going to bed. They just weren't doing it. It was hot. I get, my, t- my patience runs thin when it's really hot. I'm very weak when it comes to that. If it's loud and hot, I tend to get very frazzled. So it's about 1230, and no exaggeration at all, I was going to throw all of our possessions onto the blanket, fold it all up, throw it over my shoulder, take it out to the van in the rain, put my kids in there, and at 1230, I was going to drive them straight back to Charlotte. And then the next morning, I was just going to go back up. I was not being a good dad that night. I was not being a good Christian that night. I was not doing very well according to the law that night. And then the hard thing about being a preacher is that the next day I was supposed to go out and hobnob with people as the the preacher. They called me the evangelist, the old school terminology. And I was going to preach that next night after just being a horrible person the night before, really. I mean, how, how can you get up here and put on your tie and look all shiny after, you know, really sinning quite a bit? And I did struggle with it. You know, I just didn't fill up to the task. But you do it by meditating on the gospel. The fact that it never had anything to do with how good you are. My privilege of being able to get up here and speak to you from the Bible has nothing to do with how sinless I am. I hope you all know that plainly. It has nothing to do with my merit based on my own righteousness. It's just because we have such a great Savior, such a great Jesus. That he actually transforms us from guilty people into innocent people by paying our penalty for us. And then he lets us participate in what he's doing in the world. It's crazy, crazy grace. I don't want any of you to be burdened by performance-based Christianity. I want you to live the free, full life that the gospel provides for us. And you find that in Jesus, not in a moral system and not in church. And what I'm, I don't mean that church is bad or morality is bad. I just mean that that's not where salvation is found. That's not where a new life is found. It's found in Jesus, the person. So Christians used to belong to the law, but now they belong to Jesus. They used to bear death fruit, now they bear God fruit. And the last point, Christians used to serve by the code, by the law. Now they serve by the Spirit. That's what he says in the last verse there, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way, in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. This is the difference between miraculous Christianity and human Christianity. There's a human Christianity that's all, basically all built upon what we're able to accomplish. With our marketing, with our programming, 
with our design and great services and, and church stuff, church life, we can accomplish some things. We can gather some people. You know, based on my human ability, sometimes I'm able to preach a pretty decent message that's entertaining. I get some laughs. I get some tears. Um, you know, on my human ability, sometimes I'm able to do okay. But nothing miraculous ever happens based on all that. But there is a Christianity that's all supernatural, all miraculous, that's powered by the Holy Spirit. You see, that's another real change that happens when you become a Christian. God pours his Holy Spirit into you. Gives you a new heart and a new spirit. And the law changes. It's not a demand upon you from the outside anymore. It's a desire from the inside. That's why Jesus never really got into these scuffles about the rules. He just took the conversation to the heart. Because if God changes your heart, the rules are going to follow. You're going to want that. You're going to want what's good. You're going to hate what's bad over time. So, landing the plane here, what does this mean for you practically? Romans is very theological. There's a lot of theology in what we've been talking about. That God saves us, releases us from the law, binds us to Jesus, gives us the Spirit. It's all very theological. But there are some practical implications of this. I'll just give you three, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll close. Um, First off, I just want to exhort myself and you to go hard after Jesus. Yes, have your quiet time, but not because it's a rule Because there's Jesus in here. Go hard after Jesus. Experience that rest. Don't go so hard after tips and tactics, do's and don'ts. Go hard after Jesus. I fear that some people don't even know what that means. Go hard after Jesus. I pray that you'll find out. Get in here. Pray for Jesus to reveal himself to you. Go hard after Jesus. And keep an eye on your fruit. If you start to see death fruit growing, you need to turn back to Jesus. If you're just, if you're just sick and tired of all things church, you need to turn back to Jesus. You don't need to dig in deeper doing stuff. You need to turn back to Jesus. And then it'll become clear and it'll become desirous for you again. It'll become fresh and good. And lastly... This is a harder one, but really try not to act. That's what got the Pharisees in trouble. They knew, like we know, the uh, morality and the do's and don'ts really well. And so they tried really hard to look as though they fulfilled all the law really well. When in reality, they didn't because none of us can. That's why Jesus called them hypocrites so much. Uh, We are a group of really messed up people just because all people are really messed up. We're a bunch of sinners. Uh, So we don't need to act. We don't need to act as though we got this. You sin. You've sinned already today. I'm sure of it. And I have. I might be sinning right now. (laughs) So we don't need to act. We're in this thing together. We're all marching toward Jesus together. I think if we... If we can get Jesus, so much of what we wrestle with as a church 
I really think will work itself out. You know, I won't, I talk to Alicia a lot. We want vibrant worship. The musical part of our worship, we want it to be vibrant. People just giving it up, singing loud to Jesus. Well, that comes when our hearts really, really love Jesus and we really want to. And these true things that we are singing really mean a lot to us. And that comes after we spend a lot of time with, with him, with our Lord. Just like your anniversary celebrations mean a lot more if you spent the year really loving each other. We could have a great service with, you know, smoke machine, and I could come down on a zip line and land right here and tuck and roll and land behind this and just start preaching an amazing sermon. But all that, you know, that's, that's just ornamentation. The real foundation for it all is your individual walk with Jesus Christ and my individual walk with Jesus Christ. So I hope we're able to find that as people and as a church. And I see it. I see it happening in individuals and families. I see it. It's slow. It's like it starts to rumble beneath the surface. It's not something that's noticeable. But as I talk with people, I see it start to rumble. And people, people start think, stop thinking so much about themselves. And they start thinking about their families more than they used to. They start to experience a freedom to love their spouse more than they used to. And they start to experience a taste for this more than they used to. And they're looking up, they're listening to sermons on their iPod. They never used to do that. And I'm hearing more stories about people telling coworkers about Jesus and praying with people, and they didn't used to. That's good, good, good stuff. That's, that's what we want to see. So let's go to Jesus. Let's not go to church. Let's go to Jesus and become the church. Deal? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for these people. Oh, thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ that uh, we're able to come here and be together and not just be crushed by you because of our sin, but instead to receive everything, to receive life and forgiveness and purpose and mission through Jesus Christ. May each of us in here see him uh, at a deeper level than we ever have before. May this be a week of godly fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.